Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. I'm Sam Bowler, and I'll be your co-host along with my wife, Natalie. Natalie is a licensed professional counselor in Nashville, Tennessee. She works primarily with survivors of complex trauma and specializes in dissociative disorders. The Resilient Mind is a platform for us and our guests to play our part in the bigger conversation around mental health. Specifically, we would like to raise awareness and understanding of complex trauma and dissociative disorders. So, whether you're a survivor yourself or you just stumbled upon this podcast, welcome to the conversation. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. Today, I'm going to interview Natalie about dissociative identity disorder or DID. Natalie, what is DID? So I want to make a quick note that um, whatever we share on here is not a good way of diagnosing yourself um, or diagnosing somebody else. Um, If you are interested in figuring out if this is something that's going on for you, please find a trained mental health um, professional that can assess for this. And I would say preferably somebody who is trained specifically in um, assessing and treating dissociative disorders. But I um, wanted to read some of the diagnostic criteria for dissociative identity disorder, and then I will explain it in less clinical language. So we're going to look at the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria for dissociative identity disorder. It involves a disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as, it, as an experience of possession. The disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency accompanied by related alterations in affect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. These signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. So just to explain that in non-clinical language, um, this would be more than two distinct um parts of self. And so what I mean by that is these parts of self might have their own sense of identity, their own um, specific recall of things, or even how a specific memory is recalled. Um, They may have different behaviors that are noticeable by other people or the person themselves. And um, they also hold different sets of emotion, sensation. Um, It really can look a lot of different ways. And I think some of these things, maybe all of these things, really vary person to person. The other diagnostic criteria is recurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. So what this means, um, again, in non-clinical language is that 
Um, There may be gaps in just like everyday memory. So if I ask somebody, what did you do yesterday? And they have no recollection at all. That would be one example. Um, uh, Important personal information, that could be forgetting how old you are or um, what street you live on and that sort of thing. But maybe some other part of you does remember that information. Um, As far as traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting, this may be not remembering something traumatic that happened where maybe another part of self does remember that. So um, there are some other diagnostic criteria in there that have to do with how much um, uh, distress it causes and that it's not attributable to... um, you know, substance abuse or any other medical condition. But I don't want to spend too much time on diagnostic criteria. Um, You know, I think there are a lot of other ways you can get more information about that. Great. Thank you, Natalie. And um, at what point did you realize that DID was something you were interested in? When I was in undergrad at Towson University, I took a class called Trauma Across the Lifespan with Dr. Bethany Brand. And she does um, a lot of research on dissociative disorders. And so that was a part of what we learned about in that class. And um, I remember immediately in learning about it, feeling just inspired by the resilience that people can have in surviving some of the most horrific life experiences and how their mind finds a way to cope with that. And I very quickly wanted to learn more, and I started reading books of people's personal stories of having DID and how they recovered um, from the trauma experiences from their childhood. Awesome. And I know during your undergrad experience, you had a chance to intern at Shepherd Pratt. Um, can you tell us what Shepherd Pratt is real quick? I know we've gone over that in other Uh, podcast episodes, but what is Shepard Pratt and what did you learn about DID while you were there? So when I was in Dr. Brand's class, I was interested in learning more about dissociative disorders and she recommended that I try and volunteer or do an undergrad internship at Shepard Pratt um, on their trauma disorders inpatient unit. So um, I was able to do that. And I can even remember in my interview at Shepherd Pratt that they asked me something about, um, you know, do you feel afraid to be on this unit at all? What makes you want to be on this unit? Um, those sort of things. And I remember being kind of surprised by that question because there wasn't anything about DID that really scared me. And I think that's because it makes so much sense to me that that is how, you know, if a person has dissociative capacities, that that is how their mind responded and coped with the trauma they experienced. And um, I always really saw it from a compassionate viewpoint and also really thought that dissociation was a brilliant way of dealing with trauma. And then once I, um, you know, accepted that, was accepted for that internship and um, 
began interning there. You know, when you're an undergrad, they don't give you a lot of opportunities to do any sort of treatment, which makes sense to me because I was not trained or prepared to do anything therapeutically at that point. You need more um, education and training for that. But I was able to talk with the patients there, play games with them, be with them at mealtime, and, um, you know, sit in on their groups. They didn't let me sit in on, like, process groups and that sort of thing, but I sat in on different groups that the patients would attend. And so I learned a lot about DID just from interacting with people who have it and also being around professionals who understood it and worked well with it and that sort of thing. And so I feel like I had um, early exposure that most people don't have, um, you know, because they don't talk a lot in grad programs about dissociation and definitely not dissociative disorders. I think what we're taught in graduate school is that dissociative disorders and DID are extremely rare, and maybe you'll come across one to two clients um, in your whole career. And you found that's not the case? That hasn't been the case for me, no. Okay. Um, And how did that whole experience at Shepherd Pratt influence kind of the trajectory of your career going forward? Well, I think I, um, in many ways, fell in love with working with that population while I was on that unit. I really enjoyed um, talking to the patients there and was able to get an understanding and hear things from their perspective. And I think I just witnessed things that um, have helped me to really understand in a different way than if I had not had that experience so early on in my career. I know a lot of people don't really um, study that or find that that's what they're interested in, like that that disorder is something that they're interested in working with um, until later in their career when they accidentally stumble upon um, a patient or a client with DID. Gotcha. Um, Can you have something else you wanted to say on that? Yes. So I think the other thing too is once I had that experience, I was bound and determined to make that my specialization. Um, I also don't think I understood how misunderstood that diagnosis is while I was at Shepherd Pratt because I think that's one of the only places where DID is really understood and well-treated and the people there really, really know what they're doing as far as treatment and diagnosing goes. And so I, from that experience, wanted to carry that on in whatever graduate studies I pursued. And I considered different things, but ultimately um, landed at Vanderbilt University in their human development counseling program. Um, I wanted to switch switch gears a little bit from your own uh, path and ask what are what are some challenges or difficulties that um, DID clients might face when trying to find a professional to help them? I think a big issue is that when we're in grad school, we don't get the education that we need around um, assessing and diagnosing DID. Again, I think we're told this is such a rare disorder. You may not even ever come across it in your career, or maybe you will one or two times. 
And so the other thing is I think there are depictions of what DID looks like in movies um, and TV shows that aren't exactly what it always looks like. Um, I think when they show that in the media, it's always like very florid presentations where the symptoms are very obvious and very noticeable. And um, from my experience, when you are working with somebody with DID, more oftentimes than not, things are a lot more subtle than what they look like um, on TV. And so I think that's a challenge for therapists because, or, you know, mental health professionals, is I think sometimes people are working with DID and have no idea that they're working with DID. And then there is this whole other issue around um, people believing in it or not believing in it. And um, I think people I have encountered, it's almost like they act like believing in DID is like believing in Santa Claus. And um, I always find that interesting because it is a diagnosis in the DSM-5. And I know, you know, there have been times where People have not wanted that in the DSM, but um, it has seemed to continue to be there. So um, a lot of times, um, if an individual does have DID, they encounter therapists or psychiatrists that say they're, um, say they have like some other diagnosis um, or say they don't believe in DID or that they don't um, they don't treat that, or they say they do treat it, but they don't have any training in treating it. And so there's like all these complications that come up that really have to do with people not being appropriately trained in working with DID. Right. And if they're being told in graduate school that it's either extremely rare or doesn't exist, then they wouldn't be trained appropriately in it. That makes sense. Right. And um you know, I had my first DID client in my internship for graduate school. Um, and, and you know, I don't think that – I don't think anyone would have said in my grad program, oh, you know, in your internship, you're going to work with somebody with DID. So the other thing that really can be an issue is that if somebody does have DID – and they go see somebody who tells them they don't believe in it or it doesn't exist or they're making up the symptoms, it creates a lot of or it can create a lot of problems in their future treatment where they go into these phases of denial of this is not what's going on with me and maybe I don't have this because I've never met a DID client that really has DID that wants to have DID. And so there's like a lot of times a denial around it and um, wanting to try and find any sort of evidence that that's not what's going on with them because um, a lot of people that have it feel like they're going crazy, they're hearing voices or all these sorts of things and they're not crazy. And, um, you know, it's actually quite a resilient way of responding to trauma. Sure. Um, can you, and it's a good segue into my next question, but can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work with DID? 
I think the word that I would use is inspiring. Um, I really enjoy working with people with DID. I think they're some of the most bright, creative, and resilient um, people in the world. And they've been through really horrific experiences that um, I think most of us would never want to really think about. And I find that, again, it's a lot less obvious than what it seems in movies and on TV. And some of these people are walking around in the world just like any of the rest of us. And nobody would really ever know that's what's going on. Um, Nobody would know the things they've experienced, the things they've been through, or the ways that they cope. Um, which initially may be, you know, self-harm, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, addiction, like all sorts of things. But I would say high-functioning individuals with DID are really, really good at seeming like everything is okay. Um, And so it's something that I have really enjoyed gaining further education on and working with individuals and really learning from my clients because I think they are my best teachers in terms of what they need and what's helpful for them because every person with DID is different and every DID system is different. What do you think is unique about treating DID? I think something that is really different, um, you know, I've come across some people who say that they'll only work with, um, you know, what some people call the host or um, the part of self that functions in daily life. And um, other people who will say, I just won't acknowledge the other parts and I won't call them by other names and these sort of things. Um And I think what is somewhat unique is if you're working with a person with DID that you don't know has DID, you might start to get frustrated because you notice, oh, there's this person who is coming in for therapy and they're pretty compliant with what we're working on, but they seem to keep having the same problems. And I'll just use like maybe... Yeah, so like skills-based therapies, and I won't like name any specifically, that um, are meant to address emotion regulation and distress tolerance and those sort of things. Um, If the different self-states or parts are not taken into account, there may only be one part that is learning these different skills. And when a person gets triggered and switches, they no longer have access to that information. And so it's important that all parts of self are learning skills and ways to work together as a system, um, which is where internal communication and cooperation comes in. And, um, you know, I I think if you have the appropriate training, then it is something that is treatable and um, 
that really makes sense how all of it works. And so um, I've found it to be fascinating just how people's internal systems work and just um, how people have learned to cope and also love working with clients in a creative collaborative way around what works for their system because what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for another person. And so that is true of like the different therapy modalities and that sort of thing too. I think it's really important with DID not to get too rigid into only using one type of therapy because what may work for one person may not work for another. So you're continually using different tools and and adapting your treatment um, depending on what you're presented with. Yes. And the other thing I would say is even trauma-informed and trauma-specific therapies are oftentimes not taking into account severe dissociation that you see in DID. And so therefore, um, some of those modalities have to be adapted. And I think it's always important to remember to go slow and um, to not try and push things too quickly because then you're going to come up with a whole different set of issues if you push too fast and go too far. Makes sense. Um, I know that you are super passionate about um, advocacy, furthering your own education about DID, as well as educating others. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about why that is? Why are you so passionate about it? I think for people who have experienced so much trauma, unfortunately, people with DID can experience further trauma um, from medical providers, from med providers, from therapists. And so it's really important to me to help other people understand what's going on um, with somebody who has DID because I think it makes so much sense once you understand it. And um, I'm not thinking that I am, you know, unique in some way in understanding that. I just happen to have had a unique set of circumstances that allowed me to have an early understanding of DID. And if I had not had, you know, Dr. Brand as a professor in undergrad, I may be one of those people that thinks DID isn't real. Um, I really don't know what it would have been like if I didn't have that early on in my career. Um. But I think that people who have DID really deserve to be treated with compassion and respect because, you know, sometimes the ways that they have learned to get through difficult life experiences, um, maybe they still have held on to those coping strategies. And sometimes those are a little bit difficult to deal with from a professional standpoint. And it feels helpful for people to understand where that is coming from because it makes sense in the context of how that person grew up and the experiences they've had in their life. And so it's really important to me to um, talk about this with other professionals that are seeing my clients. And I'm always, anybody who has questions about DID, like other therapists and stuff, I'm always happy to answer questions that they have. And um, I really feel strongly about educating students um, who are in grad programs early on um, that are interested in working with trauma. That's what we do at Safe Haven Trauma Services is, um, you know, we work with trauma, complex trauma, and dissociative disorders. But it's so important to me that students 
early on in the way that I did have access to experience and education um, and just an understanding of what does a dissociative disorder actually look like? How do you assess for it? How do you pick up on the very subtle nuances that are important to pay attention to if you're looking for dissociation? Um, And so I take interns at Safe Haven and train them in how to work with complex trauma and dissociative disorders. And sometimes if clients are willing, um, then there's the opportunity for interns to observe sessions, which I think um, they would say has been a really good experience. Perfect. And lastly, um, if people are interested in learning more about DID, uh, what are some resources they can go to for more information? For other therapists and professionals, I think the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation is an excellent resource. That is where I've learned the most. Um, And I think the professionals within that organization are really welcoming and inviting and want to share their knowledge um, with people coming into the field or people who have been in the field and just are interested in learning more. So I think that's a great place for professionals. Um, Beauty After Bruises is a nonprofit um, that, you know, I think spreads like awareness, education, advocacy on complex PTSD and dissociative disorders. So that's another really great resource. Um, And that's a great resource for people who are family members of somebody with DID or somebody who has DID. Um, And then I'll just throw out um, a book recommendation that I think is useful for both um, professionals and people who might be dealing with complex trauma and a dissociative disorder. And that book is called Treating Complex Trauma and Dissociation, A Practical Guide to Navigating Therapeutic Challenges. And it is by Lynette Danilchuk and Kevin Connors. And um, I think that book is small and it's manageable, but it has a, a wealth of knowledge in it. And I this is a book that I read with my interns, and so I've probably read the book four times at this point. Awesome. And we can link some of this uh, in the description as well so people can um, find those resources easily. Thank you so much, Natalie. And thank you for listening to the Resilient Mind podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>